This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Mark Madden Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Don't forget, bet now from anywhere. I'm joined for this edition by Tim Benz. And, Tim, let's talk bucko baseball right away. How depressing is the Pirates losing two out of three to Oakland, who might wind up being the worst team in baseball history in terms of winning percentage, and they looked real bad while doing it? I think it's depressing. I think it should be more depressing for the players. I think it should be more depressing for the fans, and I think the media that covers them should maybe be covering it with more of that tone because, quite honestly, look, look, I, I get it. There's 162 games. The worst teams in baseball history win 50-60. to 60. I understand that, but these guys are even worse than that. They had lost 14 in a row on the road coming into PNC Park. If you are really a pennant contender, you don't allow yourself to lose by that margin twice. If you're even a contender to finish 500, you don't allow that to happen against a team like Oakland. Especially after you played so badly and were lucky to win game one. Then you played even worse, pitched even worse in games two and three. Um, It was terrible. And, you know, I think if we are to take them seriously... And if we are to praise them as much as we do when they sweep the Cardinals and win five in a row or go 20-9 and in April, well, then if we're going to do that, then the other end of the pendulum is you should hammer them when they go 8-18 and in May and they lose two out of three to the A's. Well, lucky for me, Tim, I do not take them seriously. Uh, But as you alluded to, the worst part may... feel free to hammer them. No, no, I have been. Uh, The worst part may be... Like like you alluded to, losing two out of three to Oakland erased the adrenaline of sweeping St. Louis. That should have been a landmark for them, perhaps even a big turning point that you could look back on, and now it's already forgotten. They swept their bogey team and undid it in a couple days. And they've got the Mets coming in who haven't been playing very well lately, and the Brewers... You know, managed to win a couple games against a good team against Baltimore. If you sweep the A's, then at least you maintain your first place status and you have a chance to build on it incrementally or at least keep the Brewers at bay. And now you're playing catch up as you head into the divisional games against them in Chicago. Yeah, because the Brewers got a series with the A's coming up too, and I bet they sweep it. Yeah, it's next, right? That's uh, I, I think so. Yeah, Baltimore I think goes so. Out, they come in, but uh, but I'm going to be at the game Friday, the opener against the Mets of that three game series, and Tim. I go to maybe two, three games a year. I think in the last 10 or 11 times I've been to PNC Park, I've seen them win once. So I I don't think it's me. I think they just stink, but it's still kind of 
Well, no, it's actually not discouraging because I kind of yuck it up and have a bunch of drinks. I think the three most memorable games for me personally that I've been to at PNC Park were the Cueto game as a media member, but as a fan, the two that I remember the most were when they lost 20 to nothing to Milwaukee, and I was also there the night that they clinched, it might have been against the Cubs, that they clinched the 20 consecutive years of losing. Those are, those are landmark moments, Mark, for me as a Pirates fan. Well, one of my recent jaunts to PNC, I think it was against St. Louis, but I'm not sure. Like I said, I have a bunch of drinks and yuck it up. But they were ahead by like four going into the top of the ninth, and like 15 St. Louis batters got hits in a row. And if I'm exaggerating, it's not by a bunch. Like St. Louis, if, if it was St. Louis, I'm 90% sure it was. They went into that inning a trailing by four and wound up winning handily. And if they only got 15 hits in a row, then that's five less than what Contreras allowed yesterday in the first inning. It was like that uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon. Wham, a homer. Wham, another homer. You know, I was joking. It's funny you say that because I walked to the press box. I made a joke about Jace Peterson being Bugs Bunny for the A's the night before. This guy was hitting 208, and all of a sudden he turned into Mickey Mantle when he got here. Right, five for five, a couple home runs. What a night for him. Now, Mitch Keller has had three straight bad outings. He looked like an ace for a bit, but now, I mean, to me, he's a doubt. His ERA has climbed by over a run in less than a month. And uh, all the people who wanted to extend him, I said, no, let's wait. And he proved that I was right. He said something after that start against the A's. I think it was Rob Beertemple that asked him the question. Words the effect of, hey, it's been a couple starts in a row like this after you've been so good for so long. Is there anything that needs correction or words to that effect? And he said, well, I don't know if it's been two or three. You know, the last two, maybe. That Giants game, I sort of got bitten by the hit bug. I'm like, bitten by the hit bug? <laughs> That's a big mosquito if you're a pitcher. Well, no, but Bob Walk, whose opinion I value, he said of these last three starts by Keller, all of whom can statistically be called bad starts, he had bad stuff in one of them. In another, and I, I think it was the middle one, Walk, he said he pitched pretty good, but just got no breaks and made some bad pitches at bad times. I heard him on their postgame show talk about that and mention what he's been doing when he's got three ball counts. Like, he's kind of had this string of non-competitive pitches on three ball counts where they just turn into walks and the batter doesn't have to sweat and you're not getting soft contact because a guy is on a 3-1 count or a 3-2 count, got a chase out of the zone. They're turning into walks and easy ones to take, and that's um, been part of the formula that's worked against him in recent outings. How much blame does Derek Shelton get for not having the Pirates mentally ready to go against Oakland, which was very evident? Yeah, and that, like I said, even started game one where if that Oakland relief pitcher doesn't walk in two runs and the right fielder doesn't throw to the wrong base, they might lose that too. Um, uh, he said it himself, I would have been a better hitting coach if I could figure out a way to tell these guys just to hit the ball when there's guys on base with two outs. That was the other big problem. Aside from the pitching, and, and I don't know what a manager does to talk guys into doing this, but my God, three of... What was it, 41 or something like that? Or 4 of 31. That's what it was. 4 of 31 with runners in scoring position. Yeah, with Rispy. It was, it was bad. 4 of 31, and they left nine guys on base all three games. Uh, Wilson has been uh, Davis, excuse me, Henry Davis, uh, got called up to AAA. Andy Rodriguez is still there. I don't get that because they can't both catch at the same time. It wouldn't shock me, by the way, if neither ends up as a catcher at the major league level. But uh, fans are still clamoring for them to be called up to the major league level. I see videos of them hitting on Twitter all the time. 
the analysis and the close attention paid to how these guys are doing in the minors is just incredible. Are the fans building those guys up to mythical status to the point that when they do get to Pittsburgh, they can't possibly do good enough? There's some concern there about that, yes. I can see them both being catchers the way they're going to do it in the minors, which is, you know, alternate days or whatever, and then you can play a different position. I can't see them both being catchers here at the same time. I don't think they'll do that. Um, you know, especially because then you're almost... Who, who's the better defensive catcher of the two? I thought Rodriguez was supposed to be. Then just stick Davis in the outfield. Or DH. Well, catches the base. DH, but yeah. Or first base. They always have a hole at first base, Yeah, because right? Santana's probably not even going to... You know, he'll probably get traded at the deadline. Yeah, and I think they feel like Contreras can play first or second, third, so... Um, he seems to be the more maneuverable part. Davis is the typical. If you're not catching, you're wait, Contreras? Right. You mean Rodriguez? Uh, Andy Rodriguez. Sorry, yeah, yes, we're, we're the, mangling all the names. Freudian slip there with the other Contreras from from St. Louis. We're waiting too long for them to get here. <laughs> um, no, but I I think that Davis is more the traditional. If he's not catching, then you're gonna have to play him in first or right field. And like you said, you got Cutch who's playing right field, and that's an issue. Well, my or vision DHA. is my vision is that one or both get here. They. Hit like 250, if that. The team doesn't play better. And, you know, they could lose more. They're very consistent with their inconsistency. I'm not saying the fans are going to turn on those two. But they might be uh, perhaps too critical for guys just breaking into the major leagues. And there's going to be a defensive drop-off, Tim. Because even though Hedges can hit worth a damn, look at that throw he made in the ninth on Monday. Game one against Oakland. The throw Rob Ruiz. Yeah, to basically win the game. I mean, Ruiz is Major League Baseball's leading base stealer. You need that, but I also understand even if a catcher's good defensively, he can't hit 180. And while we're paying so much attention to the two catchers and when do they get called up, we're sort of ignoring that there's not a lot of help coming from any other position, A, and B, what might be the most pressing need right now is... Like, is Quinn Priester ready? And if he's not, is there somebody else in the minors that can help out? Or do they have to go out and get a veteran arm? Um, because well, the starting no, it, pitch- it, it depends what their goals are, what their aspirations are for this season. Like, I wouldn't. What are they going to do? Trade for Chris Archer again? <laughs> I mean, I just. Yeah, his, I don't, his name I, is Madison Bumgarner. I don't think. Oh, my God. Have you seen he's, people he's call released, for that today? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I just don't think this team. I don't think its ceiling is high enough right this second for this season. To make a trade where you sacrifice anything to get help for now, unless you're sacrificing just about nothing. And they could, they've got parts where they probably feel like they're sacrificing just about nothing. But yeah, I, the big X factor, like I said before, is the Brewers and how long they help keep the Pirates in the race. Or if the Reds, you know, the Reds might be an X factor too if they really catch fire with their guys that they've called up. They put on a show last night yeah, winning what, that What's game. that guy's name that hit a, a De La ball? Cruz. Yeah, he hit a ball almost out of the stadium. Yes, he is. Last row of the bleachers. He is O'Neill Cruz, just with a couple extra syllables and maybe even more pop. Uh, that went 468 feet. He's like the new StatCast king now that O'Neill Cruz is out. Yeah, and like everybody's on Twitter, well, if he did that, then Davis and Rodriguez and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, you just don't know. And, you know, he could end up hitting... 220 or 230 by the end of the year and much like O'Neill Cruz have issues besides when he makes contact it goes far and comes off the bat hard. Tim Benz and Mark Madden here on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Tim, I want to talk a bit about the Steelers. Not much 
because for the love of God, it's June. I, I have heard uh, on another radio station, besides the one I'm on, Two shows that have spent lengthy periods talking about the quarterback matchup against San Francisco in week one. That boggles my mind. If you talk about that now, what do you talk about in the two weeks before? And I thought that's what training camp was for. I've fallen into this trap myself on the Prince side with the Trib. I look at sort of a list of topics that I want to address with the Steelers and try to map them out. I'm already at the end of the map. You know, I've already been around the world. Well, that's why I thought my NFL draft talk was really good. Because they didn't start it until two weeks before. And there's a bit of a pressure to get out there to the south side and churn out some stories because people read them, you know, and people click on them. It's the Steelers. It brings it. But then I feel like you're diluting the product by the time they get out to Latrobe because that's kind of when it matters more. And you're just regurgitating the things that you've written in mid-June. Well, one, one slightly newsworthy thing is Colin Coward of Fox said, again, that the Steelers build their team the wrong way and rely on defense when it's an offensive league, and Tomlin, as a defensive coach, just doesn't get it. Is Colin Coward anything besides absolutely right? I don't think that defense is good enough to consider it being built around. Yeah, but that's what they've tried to do. You know, And I think it's very hard. Look to- at the money they spent on defense, Tim. You know, the other thing about building around a quarterback and building around an aired-out offense is if you've got the elite quarterback, a lot of the other things don't matter as much. If you're building a team that is not focused around a star standout quarterback, you got to be really good in a lot of other areas, which is what makes San Francisco unique, and it also makes San Francisco tenuous if they get bitten by the injury bug or if their quarterback is not good enough as the wild-card product that he is, and then they lose games that otherwise shouldn't because while the other areas are meshing, the quarterback play isn't good enough. So, you know, if you don't have the superstar quarterback, you got to be so sound everywhere else, and you can't lose T.J. Watt. You can't lose Cam Hayward. And if you do, you're screwed. Yeah, I said the other day, and people went nuts, I said they should have franchised T.J. Watt, not extended him for that big money deal. And I think I've been proven right since then. And people keep saying, oh, he won Defensive Player of the Year a couple years ago. Yeah, but he missed so many games that year, or played hurt in so many games that year, that he didn't affect the winning and losing in a positive enough fashion. Fans look at awards and stats, and they lose lose sight of you sign players to to help that so they help you impact winning. And I don't think TJ Watts honestly done that enough because of the injuries. And it is funny, I wrote about the secondary a bit in the trib this week. We heard last year, Tomlin said it time and time again about the offensive line. Why did the offensive line improve last year? Well, there was so much cohesiveness and being cohesive in the offensive line and the secondary is so very important. All right, well this year there's gonna be some change in the offensive line. There's gonna be some a lot of change in the secondary. So for as much as there's been a talent influx at those two positions, is there a regression in the sense that whatever cohesion they had with those two units because of familiarity suffers, especially early in the year? I think that's worthy of noting. Uh, I also feel the Steelers, never mind building on offense, defense, what they prioritize. I feel like they don't build to win a championship. They build to just squeeze into the playoffs and maybe get lucky. Uh, There's no thinking beyond the the short term. That's where I think the quarterback thing comes into play more than anything else because they were able to do that with Ben Roethlisberger for 18 years. If the rest of the team was good enough, you had a chance to win because you had a Hall of Fame quarterback in the playoffs. Now you don't know what you have. You have a second-year quarterback who 
started to play better as the year went along last year. And that's all you know. And that's all you know even about your offense right now because you don't even know how this new offense is going to look under Matt Canada. So that's where I think the mentality of let's just get in and see how it works is so much more vulnerable now because you don't have the default of Ben can keep you in any game. Well, but but that might be their fault moving forward because you know they're not going to let Kenny Pickett be a great player. They're going to make him a game manager. That's evident because you know they're talking about two running backs in the game at the same time. They got four tight ends. You know, all we hear is about defense and, you know, Kenny Pickett, maybe he can win a game at the end on the final drive like he did last year, but but he's a first-round pick, Tim. They should be allowing him to reach for his ceiling and not just take baby steps. Honestly, that might be because, that might be why the Steelers saw him as a first-round pick more so than anybody else seemed to. I mean, now we don't know for sure if they don't take Pickett. Because they want else. him to be that? Because they don't care if he's not more. That they think if they... Build, but you don't win in this league if that's all the quarterback is. You just don't. You can come close, but you rarely do. Yes, that's true. Well, they ain't won a playoff game in six years, so I, I, I feel good about my stance on this one. My other thing about their offense, Tim, do the Steelers have a legit big weapon or just depth of weaponry? I like their depth of weaponry. For example, I like their receiving core. I just don't think there's a number one receiver. I think Pickens has the potential to be a number the one. The potential. Right now, I'm leery to call him that. Like, for instance, his whole thing about, you know, I was snubbed making the Pro Bowl. No, you weren't. Like, those four guys who made it are flat-out <laughs> number one. Right. Who would you drop? Who would you drop from Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams, and Stephon Diggs for George Pickens? Well, Pickens had a big yap in college. I think that's going to become bigger and louder as his pro career continues. Now, he does have some stats in his favor that suggest if he's targeted more, things will go better I for think he's offense. pretty good. I mean, make no mistake. So, I, I think this his ceiling, his ceiling to be a number one or at least a top four Pro Bowl wide receiver is more likely to be hit than Kenny Pickens being a top three AFC quarterback, I think. Well, that, that's because of who's in front of Kenny Pickett, but yeah. But I'm also saying there's some pretty good wide receivers in the AFC that George Pickens might be able to run with. Yeah, I don't know. Who has more talent for his position, Pickens or Pickett? More talent for his position, Pickens, I think. Even though he was a second-round pick and Pickett went first? Yeah. Okay, I mean, I'm certainly not dismissing that because you know me, I'm not on the picket bandwagon like some are. And we went through our exercise of how many AFC quarterbacks would you draft. I think I had him ninth, you had him 11th, right? When we went through everybody. Something like that, yeah. Or 8th and 10th, something to that effect is where we had him. I think we Tim, said. I, I don't know what I said yesterday. <laughs> that's like that's like a month or so ago. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think that's relevant because, you know, if you've got two or three wide receivers you can take from any team, I don't know if. I don't know if I'd go through 12 wide receivers in the AFC before I got to Pickens. Would you? Oh, no. I don't think you'd go through even seven or eight. There you go, then. Uh, but but then again, we're talking in terms of potential. We are. But, you know, here's the two numbers that track well for Pickens in terms of potential. His yards per catch, I think, was something like 15.9, which was about seventh or eighth. And then if you looked at the quarterback rating when he was targeted for Trubisky and Pickett, it was something like 109.8, and neither of those guys as a quarterback throughout a game was about 75 or 80. Let me tell you a guarantee about, about Pickens. If he doesn't get used the way he thinks he should be, he's going to bitch, and he will not get used the way he thinks he should be. Because he thinks he should get the ball in every throw, right? I don't even think he'll get the ball a reasonable amount for his talent by what I think. 
I think one thing that will help them this year, and Trubisky talked about this a little bit. He said the offense's best days so far have been when they've worked the red zone. I think they'll yield some more points in the red zone because they do have some, and this is kind of what you're saying about the wide receivers, all spread out to all their skill guys. They've got diversity of skill players that I think you can line up in different packages and keep the defense guessing. Well, getting back to what Coward said, though, did you know the Steelers were dead last in the league last year for touchdowns from outside the red zone? Well, they only had two. Two. That's that's a death sentence. You can't the Pickens win. had both of them. You can't win in this league playing that way. You cannot. Right, because the defenses are too good that you can't run 14 successful offensive plays They're in a row. They're eventually going to make a play. At five and a half yards per play. Yeah, yeah. It's not that kind of league anymore. And I keep coming back to when Philadelphia rotted the Steelers last year, and the Steelers had the ball 34 minutes, but the Eagles scored four touchdowns before they even got in the red zone. And their ball possession metrics, their... Time of possession. They they were good on third down last year. You know, like they they were like seventh or eighth in the league in third down conversions. But it doesn't amount to much if you got to start at the twenty five all the time and get to the other team's twenty five or thirty five and just kick a field goal. It doesn't add up to enough. Now, now, Tim, turning to the Penguins, uh, NHL free agency is uh, less than a month away, July first, and uh, I think the Penguins' biggest priority is getting bottom six forwards. Now, I look, there's a lot of bottom six forwards available. A lot of decent ones, too. Maybe that'll drive the price down, although some guys are just going to get overpaid because of recency buys. For example, Ivan Barbashev, who went from St. Louis to Vegas at the trade deadline, he's had an unbelievable playoff, and he's going to get mega cash. Like, he's a guy, he would have been my first choice before the playoffs started. Well, you were talking about him at the trade deadline, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, like, he's the guy who made sense, the only guy, but now they have no chance. By contrast... The opposite is the goaltending, right? Because it's not a deep pool. Um, there's a lot of teams out there that need goalies, but I don't think there's a lot of good fits. So that might drive the price down in the other way. But I hear what you're saying about the bottom six forwards. I, I would just say I would put goaltending in front of it because it's such an important position. Well, well yeah, but I'm talking about the depth of the talent pool available. Okay. Like with goalie, I mean, I, I wouldn't keep Jari, and I don't think Dubas will. And if he does, boy, that that's what prior management would do, not the guy who's here to do things different. Uh, I, I would go out and get like a, a, a relatively cheapy, relatively oldie, like like uh, Varlamov I keep talking about. Although I heard he's happy being uh, the backup to Sorokin in, on, the, in, uh, on the island. They're in Queens now, but you know what I mean. So I, I don't know, but uh, I would not keep Jari. Where are you in the Carter Hart conversation? Uh, you'd have to give up too much to get him, and I don't think he's going to be very good. He's just what he is at this point, maybe fried now, a little now bit. Now, he got rushed to Philadelphia against Ron Hextall's wishes. I'd hate to get Carter Hart based on believing Ron Hextall made the right decision about him in Philadelphia and was, you know, overruled. Hey, get that kid up here. But, uh, but no, I just I don't... wonder if maybe he's got a Bobrovsky end to his career in him where, you know, he's talked about— Tim, he's still real young. He's real young. And yeah. Bobrovsky did put up individual great numbers— uh, in was it Columbus. He won two Vezinas. Yeah. Carter Hart ain't won two Vezinas. 
No, I just wonder if he, there's more in him. He's just playing behind a bat. Almost like the Kyle Dubas factor where you can't put everything against him that didn't work out because of where he was before he potentially gets here. Well, anyway, Kim, here's I some... I just would love to see him work out here after he didn't work out in Philadelphia. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I. but it's not a trade. I, I think you'd have to give up too much for one thing. And that's and... kind of what you said about Hellebuck, too, right? Because you're going to well, have to give up a lot. And, and not, not only that, you have him. to resign him after a year, too. And he's going to want $10 million, And no goalie's worth $10 million. I mean, Bob's getting it. And he was worth it for a, for like six weeks. Yeah, I wonder, could you kind of do a under-the-table sign-and-trade where you, you work out what the number is and then figure out if it's worth dealing for what you can get him for? Because yeah. you can't extend him this year, right? So I just wouldn't do it. I, I, I think the way the league is now, you're better off with a cheaper goalie because I don't think the difference between the best and the middle is, is very big. Now, let me name some of these free agent bottom six forwards I'd like to see him look at. Uh, get your reaction. Max Domi of Dallas. Chippy and a good four-checker. Scores a little bit. I think Sullivan would like him. I think he'd work out well as a third-liner in Sullivan's system. Eric Halla of New Jersey. He just fits the description. Everywhere he's been, he's been the kind of forward the Penguins could use right now. I don't know if he's... Is he fast enough to play the way Sullivan wants to play? I mean, I like him as a player for the reasons you pointed out. Tim, they but... can't all be Eric Hyden. <laughs> You know, they can't all be a speed skater, for God's sakes. No, I. you're right. He's probably wrong to think that everybody can be. Um, I, I don't know if he fits the system as much, but the, the mold of that player, yes, I really like. Now, if you want to get a fast guy, Andreas Athanasiu uh, from Chicago. Uh, not great defensively, but he, he is one of the fastest skaters in the league, period. Then again, you know who the fastest skater in the league is in terms of a sprint? Who? Ryan Paling. Right, yeah. Didn't seem to help much. No, and he was hurt a lot. But if you want fast, get Athanasiu. I liked him when his... What did his name come up for Pittsburgh? Like two years ago? Yeah, a couple years ago. Two years ago, I thought that was a good fit then, and they've got room to make it a good fit now. So sure, do it. Uh, Jesper Fast of Carolina, who is literally, you know, fast by name, fast by nature. Uh, Another guy who was a rumored candidate to be here two years ago. Great floor checker, great on the PK. He he would be at the top of my list. Uh, of all those guys? Uh... Yeah, probably. Because I probably. know you're a fan of Anathaseju as well. Oh, no, I just think he's fast. Okay. I just think he'd make Sully happy. Yeah, and all these guys make sense, and it speaks to the depth of the position that you were talking about. So um, if they don't get the one that they want, they can get a reasonable facsimile. And depending on what they have to pay for a goaltender, because they do have space compared to a lot of teams. I mean, I think you've said this before, for as much as we talk about where they're right to hold on to the guys that they did, um, the numbers that they got them at are not so onerous that they can't do anything in free agency. They might not be able to get a star, but they can get parts like this. Here, here's another. This would be recycling, Tim. Oscar Sundqvist of Minnesota, uh, ex-Penguin, solid bottom six, knows how to play the center position and moves well enough. I always liked him more than he was given a chance to play here. I would wonder if Sullivan had seen him elsewhere to the point where he says, okay, I can see him working for me now. Is it going to convince him that he's seen what they thought of him manifest elsewhere, that if they bring him back, now he can be a, re- a relied upon every night top four-line forward? His teeth are too big. It bothers me. Too big of a target to get them knocked out? No, no. It's like he has size 8 teeth and a size 6 mouth. Like John Elway. Uh, even bigger. <laughs> even bigger. Uh, now, we talked about Barbashev, how you're just not going to get him. He's okay. going to get... You know you know where he'd be perfect, though? He can move seamlessly between being 
a bottom six anchor and a top six winger and be very legit at either. That's what Rust was when he first got here. No, this is a he's he's better than Rust, but yeah, same principle. They brought up Rust and Sheary to be guys to round out the bottom two lines, and then they just gelled with Sid when they had the opportunity, or Rust did at times with Malkin, and they just went from there. Now, two free agents that uh, that uh, Kyle Dubas could bring with him from Toronto are Michael Bunning, the winger, and uh, Noel Ashari, who's a you know utility forward. He he traded him at the deadline from St. Louis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I think they'd have a chance with the latter, with Achari. Bunting was an analytics fine, but now he's going to cash in on having been found. I think he'll get too much. Yeah, and I'm trying to think. I mean, you could almost argue that Shiri got that right. That's more about who he played with yeah. than his style of play, but it's the same concept. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think Bunting could come to Pittsburgh and be productive. I think he knows how to play with top six. No, I- I'm just saying that influences drove up his price. Sheary, by the time he left. I liked when Zach Hyman went from Toronto to Edmonton. He was like, well, he produced with uh, Austin Matthews. Can he still produce with Connor McDavid? Well, yeah. Yeah, I think he can. <laughs> uh, now, here's two from off the wall, Tim, and I don't want to get either one, but I just really okay. want your reaction. Ryan Reeves or Milan Lucic? I'd like to see Lucic come here and then never play just like Ryan Reeves did so it could happen to a different guy. <laughs> You know, if if Luch was a little faster, because he's totally slowed down. I just has he been th- playing on the power play at all? They st- is that where he's been like since Boston. They just stick him in front of the net or anything. Sometimes, not really though. I mean, that would sure help. You know, it would help Gensel not get the, get the hell beat out of him on the power oh, play. I would love to see them get a specialty guy. You know, to play in front of the net, like like you know who's who's a free agent, but his body's just shot. Is Hornquist. Right, yes. But his body's shot. So, you know, you've never been a fan of the notion of splitting up the power play? No, I'm still not. Still not, even though you you are very much an advocate of taking Geno out of the right circle and putting... Crosby. Crosby has to play the right half wall. Or well, that's what I'm going with I will it, criticize it all year with a white-hot intensity because this is one of those occasions, Tim, where I'm right and the coach is wrong. But you still like Malkin as a right circle player, don't you? Um... Honestly, Sid and Gino aren't great power play guys. Do you think Gino would be better anywhere else? I think he would be equally good at the left circle. Okay. But but at that point, you're using Crosby as the reset point. He's the point man in the right circle. Just like Kessel used to be in the left circle, and, well, Gonch was up top, and Mario in the left circle. And you know what I like? Whenever I pitch an idea like this, I get told, including by some of the players who I may have mentioned in this conversation. Well, you know, we don't just set up in one spot. We move around all the time. Okay, Mario sat in the left circle for a million years and didn't move around. Okay, so you can do it that way too. The only reason I brought up the potential of splitting up the power play, because I know you hate the idea, is if that takes Malkin out of the right circle, you have Sid there, and then if you bring in a big net front presence piece you don't expose Gensel to having to be that and get the hell beat out of him four power plays a night. See, I'm just like Kevin Stevens once said in the press room when when that when Stag was talking about Staggy, what are you talking about? You know, just put your five best guys out there on the power play and they figure it out. What's wrong with you? And there are a lot of F bombs in there too. That is Tim Benz. Tim, one real quick thing. Yeah. Uh if the Saudis bought the Pirates and made the payroll no, I'm not kidding. Okay. Made the payroll a half billion dollars. Would pirate fans be revolted by their blood money, or would they be happy with the improvement? I, I, 
I think we'd be 100% on board and we demand that the Live Championship be played at Oakmont every year. I think that's exactly how Pirates fans would react. Yay, Saudis. That's Tim Benz. I'm Mark Madden. Thank you for listening to the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Bet now from anywhere, 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 anywhere. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, betrivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.